Welcome to Blind Love Radio. I'm your host, Anna Rosen. Enjoy these heartfelt conversations having to do with creativity, transformation, and the divine. Hello, welcome back everybody to another episode of Blind Love Radio. I'm so happy you're here. I'm so grateful that you're listening. And today I have a very special guest. I have Sarah Hanks on the podcast from Cottonwood Tarot. Um, She is just a well of wisdom and I absolutely loved this conversation. It was so good. She's so easy to talk to. I feel like it was so rich in um, reflection and we talked about a lot about Mormon culture. Sarah's from Utah and the way tarot and Mormon culture can coexist with each other, her experience with that, my experience of living in Utah for a few years. And it was just a beautiful exchange of ideas about tarot and society, culture, how tarot's for everyone, um, and how we can really express our authenticity through our spirituality and how beautiful that is. We go over a lot of the cards, we talk, we get deeper into um, just some some cards, like we talked about the star, the devil, um, the seven of wands. She had some great takes on like some, maybe like some darker cards, but I loved her ideas about them. Um, and I just, guys, you're gonna love it. You're gonna love it, Leo. So I'm gonna just get into this and I present to you Sarah. See you on the other side, guys. Alright, so I have Sarah here from Cottonwood Tarot, and why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. Okay, hi. Um, yeah, so I, let's see, where should I start? I am a tarot reader. I live in Utah. Um, I have two young kids and a cat and a husband, and um, I have been reading tarot for... Gosh, I started in 2014, so I guess it's been about five years, and I started Cottonwood Tarot in 2017, and I am just so happy, like, that tarot and I kind of crossed paths at the right time. It has been a very nurturing practice for me and helped me feel like, you know, kind of kind of helped me do some, like, spiritual reclamation because my my religious history um, has been a little bit fraught, and it was it was just nice to do something that was a little more quiet and simple, and and that I was in charge of basically, you know, that I could decide like what how I was going to interpret these cards, and and you know if I didn't want to read any tarot cards for a few weeks, like that's okay, that's not a problem. Like so, anyway, my my experience with tarot has been very um, kind of healing. I love that. So how did you come across tarot? 
Well, I was um, on a camp out with some friends um, when I, I, um, I have been in the Mormon feminist community for a long time, um, which is like kind of a subculture of this already kind of weird fringe religion. But there were a bunch of Mormon feminist women who wanted to get together and do an annual retreat, annual camp out. And in 2014, I was at one of those and it was just late at night and everybody was feeling good. And one of my friends named Joanna brought out a tarot deck. And I, I, I had heard of tarot cards before. I wasn't, I wasn't like confused at what they were, but I had definitely never interacted with them before. This was in my late twenties. And, um, anyway, she just started doing readings for people, like anyone who wanted one. And she did a reading for me and I remember it was a Celtic cross reading and I remember the devil came out as my final card and Joan was like, don't, yeah, don't even worry. The devil is sexy. And I'm like, okay. Um, you know, I, I don't remember, like, we didn't go into depth. It wasn't this like transformative reading, but I really liked it. And I really liked Joanna. And I was like, this is a cool thing, you know, and this woman that I respect so much, like she has tarot cards, I guess I could have tarot cards. And so, um, I think it was probably like the next Christmas, my dad gave me a Barnes and Noble gift card and I walked into Barnes and Noble and I feel like gift cards are sort of kind of like play money in a way. Like you, you feel like you can make purchases with them that you maybe wouldn't ordinarily. Totally. Like wandered to the kind of metaphysical section and found a deck and bought it and just started playing with it. And that was it. I mean, I, I loved to use the cards. Like it was almost always in gatherings with friends. That was just, it was such a good kind of conversation starter and a way to like go deeper with people. Um, so that was kind of my beginning. I love that. Okay. So are you Mormon now or like, how do you relate to that? Right. I am Mormon. It is, but I would say a lot of Mormons probably wouldn't consider me Mormon. I, um, basically I was, I was baptized when I was eight and I have not taken my name. The the way they put it is I have not taken my name off the records of the church. Basically you can resign your membership. I have many friends who have, I think that's like such an important step for a lot of people. And I have felt kind of more like, no, I'm Mormon. Like I have been so invested in this culture my whole life. My family has been in the church since the church began. Like, you cannot make me stop being more. Like, if you want me to stop being Mormon, you're going to have to kick me out. You're going to have to do it yourself. I feel like inactive Mormons, people who stop going to church, they, they have always been part of the Mormon story and the Mormon culture. And that's where I am. You know, I haven't gone to church. Well, I mean, I take that back. Like, when I visit my family, my, my parents... I'll go to church with them and that's no problem. Um, but I, it's been about two years since I made the decision. Like I am done. I'm done attending. I'm done trying to believe I'm done kind of making this my entire spiritual world, you know? Um, but I, I, because it, it is also kind of like a cultural identity and everything. And because it's so important to my ancestry, I, I do still totally consider, consider myself Mormon, just kind of like a weirdo Mormon. I love that. Oh my God, that's the best. 
I mean, yeah. okay, so I lived in Utah for a little bit, like I told you. Yeah, tell me more about that. Like, yes. what brought you out to Utah? So bizarre. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I went to, like, one of those, like, bad girl uh, boarding schools that they have out there that there's, like, so many. I feel like, the, you know, it's no, kind there of... There are. There are a lot. It's a big industry. In it's Utah. a huge industry, and I feel like it's a little bit of, like everybody wants to save your soul a little bit which is oh, like yeah. kind of beautiful and kind of crosses a boundary like <laughs> that is the most perfect summary and it's so kind and so true like I know you love me but like whoa. <laughs> totally so I went to that for a year mm-hmm. and then And it really stemmed from, like, a lot of mental health problems with me, like, anxiety and depression, and I was, like, trying to kill myself all the time as a teenager, and my parents just did not know what to do with me. Um, And so, you know, on I went to my journey, and I kind of look back now, like, what kind of weird karma did I have with, like, that land? Because I feel like... Like, it's so powerful, like, when you're there and you're looking at, like, all of the mountains and there's just, like, this tangible energy in the air. Yeah. Um, that's so amazing, but that's kind of, like, a sidetrack. And... No, I agree, though, completely. And it, it, which is amazing, and it just feels, like, rich in history. Like, I totally understand when you're saying, like, you can't not be Mormon because it's, like... It's in your DNA. Like, even if they took your name out of the book, you would still be Mormon. That's true. That's 100% true. And I think there there are many many people, there's like, side note, like, Mormonism is is like endlessly fascinating to me. And the way that that we handle ourselves as a culture is just amazing, intriguing. But there are so many people who have been excommunicated by the church who fully still consider themselves Mormon because everything that happens in Mormonism has to have like a ritual with it, has to have an ordinance with it. Um, And there isn't an ordinance or excommunication. You just get like a letter in the mail that says like, hey, you're not a member of the church anymore. But nobody ever came and like did, used, used the priesthood to do anything about that. So there are some people who are like, you would never be able to make me not Mormon because I'm not going to submit to any sort of ordinance that allows you to do that. Anyway, that's just like totally a side note. But yeah, I agree. <laughs> Go totally. Ahead. Okay, so where was I? So, okay, before I also, before I even went, so I'm from the East Coast. I'm from Maryland, like really close to Washington, D.C. Um, and we have like a pretty big, I was raised Catholic. I like use air quotes. Um, and... There's a really big, like, it's so diverse here, but it's more, like, you get everyone. I had never even heard of a Mormon. Like, most of my school was, like, Jewish and Catholic, and, like, it just wasn't a big population. So I was, like, it was a total, like, culture crisis once I got there. Um, Like, the modesty tops... And, like, you know, like, people, just the way we would dress here was, like, way more urban. 
and yeah. like going there i feel like they the moment i got there they like threw away half of my clothes <laughs> like i wasn't allowed to wear any of that um and it was just interesting like the idea of what you needed to do to fit in um, so it was kind of like I was under care there by, I mean, they're like the staff there, I have like very mixed feelings about it, I would say, but I want to say that, you know, a lot of them, their hearts were very pure. I would yeah. say like all of them, their hearts were very pure. Like nobody, I would say, gets into it. Well, that's not true. I would probably some people get into it for like control and to abuse the power. But I feel like that really wasn't that. And um, it was a very, I would say, uh, I want to even say like cleansing, like, um, they I feel like it's like hard to like put it into words yeah um I would say like the hard part about it was the more like the longer I got there the more I got like a little bit of like Stockholm syndrome I feel like (laughs) because there were so many great parts about the culture that made you feel so loved and accepted I wouldn't I don't know if I would say accepted but like accepted if you conform to their beliefs sure yeah and when you were you know when I felt like I was like um like abandoned there and had this little like hole in my heart to be accepted by this community was like very um just a very big deal and so I felt I got told I feel like the messaging was so much that like you're not okay as yourself though and you need to live this way of life to be like a good person and if you don't then you're not like this is kind of like the only way that there is Yeah. And I felt like after that, like I couldn't go back home. I was like my, you know, it was like after a year and I was, you know, I guess, quote unquote, doing better. And my parents really wanted me to come home. And I was so brainwashed to be scared of myself, I would say. Um, And I didn't really learn I feel like so much of, like, a lot of, like, my acting out when I was at home was, like, trying to, almost, like, trying to be somebody else in order to gain love and acceptance. Mm, And then going to this other place and the same thing happening, but, like, a different side of the coin. Yeah. Which is, I've never really thought about that, but that's kind of interesting. Um, Yeah. And this idea of, like, so, okay, so I didn't feel comfortable, like, going back because I feel like I didn't really, like, trust myself because I felt like, like, I had to be steeped in this culture or else I would just go back to being myself and being myself was not good, like, the messaging. Um, So I stayed there. I decided to stay for, I stayed for another year. 
So I ended up going into like this small group home, which was basically I lived with a family. So I lived with a Mormon family. They had, um, I think it was like eight kids and they were like adult kids. And then it was like an older, like, I feel like matriarch, patriarch thing, like, um, like the grandparents and then some of the kids were having kids. Um, and I stayed in their home and it was very, and then I went to Orem High School for a year. So I went to like the normal high school and it was just such a culture shock. And, but they were like, everybody I met was so incredibly nice and I wanted to learn more about the culture, more about the religion. Like I, it's kind of hard when you're there not to engage with it or else I feel like you're not really part of the community then. Um, and especially like not having any family there. It was like, it felt like the only choice. Um, so I went, I was in school, um, I still had, like, a lot of depression, and it was really hard, and I, because I feel like mental health is just maybe not talked about, um, there's, like, certain ways of coping that are acceptable, uh-huh. um, I feel like sugar is, like, the biggest vice, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like ice cream shop on every corner. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, but like my way of expressing myself was not okay. And it was, I was definitely viewed as like, why are you not doing anything to help yourself? And helping yourself was going to church and being, you know, taking Jesus Christ and... Um, I don't know. It was very interesting. And it was interesting going to school with the other kids that were Mormon. And looking back, I really wish that I was able to be more authentic to myself. Mm-hmm. And I think I was to a certain degree. Um, but I just carried so much shame about it. And it's like that devil card. Like when you start like truly expressing yourself as you really are and you meet that resistance, Mm -hmm. it's like you don't continue with it because you have that contraction. So then you're just like continuing this cycle. Yeah. Instead of like, I feel like I've realized now, like I've been having like big medicine with the kings. Mm -hmm. and realizing that, like, when you're really embodying the kings, like, you are leading by example, and it doesn't always feel good. It's, like, everybody else has this, like, contractive, like, seven of wands experience where they, like, feel like you, just by you being yourself, you're encroaching on their territory, Mm-hmm. or threatening it in some way. I think it feels very threatening to other people. Yes. But 
it's like if you can stay with it and like really root down into that like leader, like not even leadership because you're not like doing it for that reason. It's just a byproduct. It's like when you're able to really show up in who you are and like be okay with other people being uncomfortable with it, you're able to inspire them to show up more authentic. Like they end up like putting down that like wand of the seven of wands and being like, I can be myself too. Mm -hmm. And then you're able to have like real connections. Yeah. Instead of like trying to be somebody else and um, I don't know. I don't know where I went with that. That was a lot. But (laughs) it was just a very interesting experience. I still am like friends with some of the friends I made there. It was interesting because I actually, I was friends with like one of the only gay kids in school there. And eventually once I moved back home, he came and visited me and brought tarot cards. And that was the first tarot reading that I ever got. I know. And that was at like, I don't know, I was probably like 16. And it was interesting that like it came from that relationship. Like how bizarre, right? Yeah. Oh, that's so perfect. I know. So like, how do you like, was it weird like coming out at, does everybody know that you do tarot that you're around and like, how do they, like, how do you show up as yourself and not, um, and like coexist in this community and take the good things about the religion and the community because it's more of like a culture even than a community or than a religion like it it's definitely a religion but um like how do you you are you know what I'm asking like how do you coexist in harmony (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean I think in a way it's kind of important for me to learn to be okay with not coexisting in harmony. Mm -hmm. Um, And I only say that because, you know, for so many years, my entire kind of like faith transition, that kind of in between time when I was trying to figure out what to do, I really saw myself as like this bridge builder, this somebody who, this person who could like um, stand up in, in church settings for, um, people who didn't quote unquote fit in people who were marginalized in whatever way. Um, and I really felt like it was important for me to occupy that space. And in order to do that, I had to, you know, I kind of put the expectation on myself to like maintain all the hallmarks of faithfulness so that, so that people could trust me. Like if I went to church and I was dressed modestly And if I was going to the temple, which is like a more serious kind of religious devotion that not all Mormons do, um, if I could kind of give good lessons at church and um, make insightful comments and everything, and if I could show up and be following all the rules, be a stay-at-home mom, because a lot of Mormons really don't think women should work outside the home, if I could be a stay-at-home mom and, and like all those things, if I could give all the indications that I was a totally faithful Mormon woman 
and then also be standing up and making these suggestions that would make more room for marginalized people, then, then I might be trusted, you know, but if I showed up with like purple hair or tattoos, or if I like put a yard sign out that was for like a democratic candidate in my area or something, if I did anything that kind of made it seem like, whoa, we don't even know if she's trustworthy, then it was like, I felt like people wouldn't trust me and I wouldn't be able to have as much influence. Mm -hmm. And so it was so important to me for a long time to really coexist harmoniously and to like make sure I was doing all the things that I was quote unquote supposed to, to make myself be accepted by the community as much as possible. And I think it was really important for me when I realized that that was so rooted in ego and in my need to continue to be some version of the perfect Mormon woman. I had grown up being the perfect Mormon girl and I wanted, I didn't want to let go of that even though like my world, my internal world, my testimony, my spiritual life was in shambles. I didn't want to let go of that. And so over time I felt like it became more important to me to become okay with, um, with people being able to look at me or hear me talk or know anything about me and be like, Oh, she doesn't belong just, just for my own growth, just to be like, wow, I cannot like keep making all these decisions about my life based on how it, um, how acceptable they'll be to like the average Mormon person on my street. Um, and so that's kind of one part of it, but I mean, I am, public with the fact that I'm a tarot reader. I don't hide that, but also almost, almost all of the, um, tarot related content or anything that I do is pretty much, um, confined to the Instagram account that I have and my website for the tarot. Like if, if I have friends who aren't interested in that or who feel like it's scary or weird, like they're not following that stuff. And so they see very little of it. It's not on Facebook. It's not something I bring up a lot with like, you know, at family dinners or anything. So, I mean, it's, it's available. That information is available for anyone who wants it, but, um, but there is a boundary there. I'm not, I'm not trying to make people, um, I'm not, I'm not trying to like promote within like exclusively Mormon circles, I guess you could say. You're not trying to make people uncomfortable. Certainly not trying to make people uncomfortable and also caring a lot that I don't feel uncomfortable too. Like I'm I'm not I'm not really available to like get people's approval on that. I don't I don't want to kind of subconsciously be asking for people to tell me that it's okay. Like yes. if, I, if I tell it to them in the mm-hmm. right way or if I present it or if I give me them maybe the scriptural comparison then maybe they'll think it's okay because there's so much mysticism in Mormonism, but we don't really see it. Like it's, we, we act like it's not mystical or we, we really, like I was always told in church growing up, like don't read your horoscope, like don't play with Ouija boards, you know, it's like anything that kind of seems like the occult, we don't want to do. We're not cool with as a culture, even though at the same time, we have all these practices that are so, and all of our roots, like if you go back to the early days of Mormonism, are so in a magic worldview and in the occult. Um, oh my God, totally. The Joseph Smith thing is yeah. like, he, <laughs> like he saw a spirit. Yeah, completely. And I think the way that 
he, so in addition to the Bible, Mormons have the Book of Mormon, which Joseph Smith, the founder of the church, like claimed was translated from these golden plates that he discovered. And the way that he claims to have translated them is he had this peep stone, this like oracle stone kind of a thing that he put into a hat and he put his face in that hat in order to block out light. And like that allowed him to translate. Like it's total like witchcraft, witchcraft. (laughs) you know, it's he, he, like Joseph Smith is definitely has echoes of the magician, like all around. Um, and so do so many other people in the early church. Anyway, there's a part of me that has wanted to be like, if I can talk to Mormon people about all the things that we still do that are so mystical and all the stories from the scriptures that are so mystical, maybe I could like <laughs> butter them up and they'll be down with tarot cards. Uh-huh. Um, you know, cause I still, I mean, I still so strongly crave that validation. Um, but I feel like one thing I've done is kind of try to draw that boundary and say, no, like if I, I, if I don't care about their, um, criticisms, I also don't care about their validation, not don't care about it, but don't require it. Yeah. Um, and so that, that is one, one way that I've just kind of been like, you know, this, I don't need to let everybody into this. I don't need to invite everybody to this party. Um, and that's really okay. And it's, like, also really trusting that, like, the universe is abundant and, like, everybody can get what they need and everybody can show up as they are. Yeah. And, like, it doesn't, like, it's not, it doesn't need to affect who you are. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I feel like there's such a, well, there is such a missionary spirit in Mormonism, like this real desire to like, when you find something that you love and care about and believe in, you feel like it's your obligation. It's your kind of spiritual duty to share it with other people. Um, and to kind of like convince them to come along too, so that they can have all the joy that you have. Um, and that's something that, I mean, obviously Mormons send out missionaries all over the world for that reason. And I feel like you can kind of carry that with you even to sort of a post-Mormon existence where the things that you love, you feel um, you feel a real need to like share it with other people. And that is not a problem. That's actually like I totally feel that and get that because I do kind of get pretty pumped about tarot and want to be like, oh, my gosh, you should get a tarot reading. I know you're going to <laughs> in your life. Yeah. like it doesn't even have to be for me. I know 10 other tarot readers you could call right now. Like, uh-huh. let's do um, But. I think it is important to kind of keep that in check. Like what are the reasons that you're doing that? Like how much are you um, interested in sharing this um, in order to serve the other person versus just to kind of reinforce your own faith um, or make you feel more okay. Um, Anyway, so that's something to always kind of be watching for. I feel like as somebody who has navigated away from the church, like how much are you still carrying over the subconscious beliefs from that church? Not even just in like, the actual doctrine but in the behaviors and what the behaviors mean like if I'm not sharing my testimony of tarot does that mean I'm being selfish does that mean I'm being weak or cowardly like no it doesn't but that's kind of the story that that I could have from Mormonism that was so encouraging to like always share your testimony like on the bus on the plane at school whatever wow that's so profound and it makes me think about like 
as we ask them to respect our boundary, it's like we need to be just as respectful or else, yeah, you're doing the same thing. And it's like accepting. That's why like I totally feel like everything was like rooted in pure intention. Um, It's just like allowing yourself the ability to to be who you are and then you let other people be who they are yeah you're right it's existing not in harmony but like coexisting in our own harmonies yeah or maybe in a way like it is it is a kind of harmony but it's not a unison like it's okay Mm -hmm. if you're singing different notes it's like it can it can get along just fine I don't know I don't know the exact perfect metaphor but like you do kind of I think it is so important to figure out a way to um, just be and to let other people just be and to not feel too um, obligated to like try to change that, try to change people or convince them to do anything differently. Um, You know, kind of like honest sharing from the heart is wonderful, but it, it can come without any expectation that like other people see things the same way that you do. So did you go on a mission? I didn't. I thought about it. Um, I got married instead, basically. Uh-huh. Um, I um, So I got married when I was 21, which at the time was the age that women were eligible to go on missions. Now they can go on missions when they're 19. And I think if that, if that policy had changed when I was that age, I for sure would have gone on a mission. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I decided not to. And honestly, I'm, that's one of those, well, Mormons would call it a tender mercy. I feel like that is such a tender mercy in my life. Like a thing that I didn't, that I can only see in retrospect was a huge blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, thankfully I didn't go on a mission. I think that would have probably been a bad environment for me, but, um, but no, I mean, I have four little brothers and they have all gone on missions. My youngest brother is on a mission right now. Um, so it's definitely like always a big part of your life, even if you don't go on missions because everyone around you is. Mm-hmm. So if you're okay to talk about it, like, so you have yeah. two kids and like kids, yeah. how like wh- how are you teaching them about spirituality and the culture and like what are your ideas about it yeah and that is so so difficult definitely still like a work in progress my kids are five and two so they're still pretty young but um you know one thing that I w- really worried about a lot back when I was going to church and, and they were coming with me and my husband was um, trying to protect them, trying to guard them against um, so many of the teachings that can be very harmful. And I mean, there's the very obvious things about like learning um, about that it's that it's wrong to be gay, um, that that gay relationships are a problem, that God considers them terribly sinful. Um, like I, I was so scared of um, of exposing my kids to that and eventually finding out that one of them or both of them were gay or trans. Um, and, and I, even smaller than that, I mean, there's so many things that you learn in church about like being perfect so that God can love you. Um, and, and, 
you know, purity culture, modesty culture, villainization of like masturbation there, which I feel like in the church, men, boys and men really get that a lot more than girls and women. Cause girls and women aren't really seen as like sexual agents unto themselves. And, but then women are kind of blamed for, for men's, um, sexual misdeeds or whatever. Anyway, there were just so many things that I worried about exposing my kids to. And to me, it was really more important that they not get all of that stuff than that they get any of the good stuff from the church. Cause I feel like there is a lot of good stuff that I still really cherish. But, um, instead what I really wanted for them was a more independent spirituality And so that's what I've tried to model for them. And they're still very young. So the conversations are really elementary, but like they do know about Jesus and that like Jesus was somebody that, um, that taught kind of a a different way of living that taught that, um, that kind of changed higher. Well, I I don't use the word hierarchy with them because they're too little, but like, but changed kind of some of the ways that people did things so that people could, really love each other and feel instead of feeling like they had to follow the rules in, in order to be loved. Um, and so I teach them those things. They see me working with tarot cards. I talk to them a lot about like making sure that they, um, treat other people kindly and, and make sure that they are treated kindly. Um, but the spiritual teachings are very, very small at this point. And I totally wonder and worry about how that'll all unfold in the future because, I don't know if we'll be here forever, but we, we live in Utah right now where there's a strong Mormon culture, a strong, like a a strong, large Mormon population. And it can be kind of isolating for kids who don't go to church. And so I, they are still totally exposed to the culture through their extended family. When we go to visit them, we go to church with them. I, I would love for my kids to maintain their sense that they, they do have, a place in the Mormon culture, but, um, it's, it's something that we're just going to have to figure out as we go and respond to kind of their spiritual needs. Um, and I really hope that they can learn by example and through conversations that we'll have that like, they have a lot of wisdom inside of them that they can trust and that they can kind of find their own path based on that, you know, that's beautiful. Thanks. I, I hope love so. That. I mean, I feel so jumbled right now. I like look at my kids and I'm like, what are we gonna do? Like, <laughs> yeah. Do I, do I teach you that like Jesus was the Son of God? Do I teach you, you know, about like anything that happens after we die? Like, I don't know. But it's um I just try to talk to them from my heart and tell them what I believe. And I think over time it's like my husband and I, even though both of us don't go to church, we we have pretty different views of the world and different belief systems and so I think they'll be exposed to just like you know us uh, on a very small uh scale some diversity in thought just from that and um and learn that they're gonna figure out different things and and everybody sees the world a little bit differently and and that's all okay we can we can live together and love each other and share what we what we think you know Yeah, I think it's really, like, boiling everything down to, like, the commonalities of, like, that it, like, essentially, I feel like everything came from love Mm -hmm. and rooted in, like, kindness and being kind to others, kind to yourself. So Mm -hmm. I feel like you got it. It sounds good to me. Thanks. Thanks for the vote of confidence. 
yeah i mean i think it's just like a work in progress i think anybody claiming to know the truth is full of shit so (laughs) it's like when you have the um i guess the self-awareness to know that you don't know everything it comes from such a more authentic place and then there's like so much room for like god to come in and just like make happen what's supposed to happen yeah totally so any like have you had any like experiences with cards lately that i don't know that you've been in like are you like in a certain card right now or yeah i um by the way the baby monitor's on i don't know if you can hear my kids maybe i should <laughs> oh that's fine <laughs> Um, so, yeah, I had an interesting experience at the beginning of May that has really stayed with me, um, where I, I was participating in Lindsay Max. um, she did a tarot challenge for the month of May. Hang on one second, because this is just distracting for me. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna go turn that. No problem. So, um, I was participating in her tarot challenge in May and, um, and she, she had a prompt one day. I don't even remember what it was, but it was early on in the month. And I sat down to pull a card and I had been working a lot with the six of swords. Like it was just one that was kind of coming up a lot for me. And I thought, okay, like, I'm just going to spend a little more time with this card and see, see what it can tell me, you know? And so I had a bunch of six of swords cards from different decks, like up on my windowsill. And I, I was going to work with a particular deck. So I took that card out and put it back in the deck. I was just like, I should be working with a full deck. This is fine. And, um, I just looked it up on my phone. The, the prompt for that day was a message from my heart. Ooh, very appropriate for our conversation. (laughs) (laughs) And I shuffled the cards and I, um, I pulled the six of swords, but it was reversed. And, um, and while I pulled it, I had some music playing some music that I had never heard before, like a song I didn't know. And as I pulled this, the card, the six of swords reversed, the lyrics in the song were, um, follow the signs slowly, but steady. Don't rush. It was Mm. from a song called astral plane, um, by Valerie June. And it was really meaningful for me because I had spent so much time with the six of swords and felt like it was really relevant to a situation in my life where a a good friend of mine who I've known for most of my life and, and has just like a completely special place in my heart, um, committed a really terrible crime and has gone to prison. And, um, and it has felt like the most kind of tower experience to kind of like have to kind of, deal with the aftermath and say, okay, whoa, something that I thought was so stable has really crumbled. And like, I'm just here with all like the burned out wreckage, like, what am I going to do? And I have felt so, um, I felt such an internal pressure to like move on and let go and like not care about him, not care about the situation anymore. And I felt like that was a lot of what I was getting from the six of swords as I was working on it. But when the Six of Swords came out reversed with that message from the song about just, like, go slowly, it's okay, you don't have to rush anything, it felt so, like, a sweet, reassuring, 
message from my heart to just be like, you don't need to rush this. Like you feel like you do and that's okay. But like, just please don't, don't expect that of yourself. This is not gonna be something that changes overnight. And, and so the six of swords reverse kind of came to represent to me, like the knowledge that you do, like the way I've always looked at the six of swords is like, you know that you need to go, but you don't know what's on the other side yet. And it's still, you're very much mentally, emotionally still in the place that you've left behind. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that six of swords reverse is just kind of like, okay, yeah, you are going to move. That's okay. But it's a much like gentler expectation. And it, I don't know, that just, that was a moment that really, really meant a lot to me to see that card and to feel like because of the reversal, the, the tone of it could change so much and make me feel like, I could release, um, release that requirement that I had put on myself to like make this happen and move on and let go and like turn the page and never look back. It was more like, no, you can just like exist in this. And over time, the journey will take place and you'll, you'll follow it. And you don't need to feel like you have to make that happen. It's just going to happen on its own and you're going to, be ready for it when it does does that make sense yes oh my god number one I'm so sorry that that happened to you and of course it's like allowing yourself the compassion to grieve Uh I feel like every like our culture hates grief yeah it's like we tell people to move on and get over it and it makes people other people uncomfortable to see you crying yeah and we get uncomfortable holding that space for other people too like when somebody cries we tense up yeah and we so want to fix it we're like yes it'll be okay it's not as Uh bad as me whatever i was listening to this podcast yesterday and she had made this play based upon she found out that her husband was looking at like child pornography and I think I think like the cops had come and it affected the family and she decided to stay with her husband and she realized it was a big deal you know she didn't like say dismiss it or anything but she wanted to stand by him and help him help him um And she was talking about how uncomfortable it made other people. And to tell people and to just tell yourself, like, this is not okay. And I'm going to go do this for myself to make myself feel better. Like, it's not like be allowing yourself to like have it be messy. And like you said, like not trying to fix anything like that. It's, like, also brings up a feeling of, like, powerlessness, right? Like, we can't do anything about it. We can't change it. And so, oh, that's such, like, hangman, right? Like, hanging out until the cycle is completed. Like, we can't force things. Yeah. And, like, letting, yeah, like, really steeping in the messiness. I almost think of, like, a plant growing. Like... It's, it's just so dirty. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, completely. I mean, all of those life changes really are, it's, it is not, it, it is not clean. I think of like the way my babies were born or even, you know, internally, like all this stuff that went down with my faith journey. 
Um, it's like, it is not cute. It is not mess. It's not clean. It just gets real rough in there. And, and there's, and that's not an indication that you're doing anything wrong or that there's a different, better way to do things. It's just like, no, that is the nature of it. Yeah, it is a nature and like allowing things to run its course and just seeing how like seasons, you know, things come in cycles and you can't when we're in like the middle of winter and we really like want it to be summer. It's like you just have to wait. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. That was beautiful. Yeah, Yeah, no problem. Thank you for asking. So do you ever like, okay, so I had this moment this morning where 10 leaves off my succulent fell. And then I was like, oh, this looks kind of, this feels like very like 10 of pentacles. And then I had pulled the card and then the bottom of the deck. Do you ever like look at the bottom of the deck to like kind of get a flavor? Oh my gosh, yes. And it was the 10 of pentacles reverse. Do you ever have, like, I feel like tarot, it's, like, a way for spirit to communicate, but, like, spirit will communicate with you other ways, too, if you're open to it. Like, do you ever have, like, moments like that? Yeah, I do. Um, I feel like a lot it will happen through what my kids are saying. Mm. Um, this is, well, this is kind of whatever I don't I I feel a little bit weird sharing it but but not in a bad way just like in a questioning way but um my kids have this book where um that's about about trains it's like a Thomas the Tank Engine train and one of the trains in the story is named Spencer and that's the name of the friend that I mentioned just a minute ago who went to prison Mm. and every once in a while like it's not a story that we read a lot but every once in a while my kids will just kind of tell me something about Spencer they'll just kind of be like like they'll, they'll just kind of come up with something in their head and they'll mention it to me and it'll be about Spencer and they are too little like they didn't know my friend Spencer they they've never met him before and so they're not at all talking about him, but they're talking about the train in their book. But sometimes the things that they'll say about the train in their book are really like well matched to kind of what I'm dealing with. Yeah. Moment, um, wow. In relation to Spencer. And so it feels very much like something that I want to pay attention to, you know? And so I, that's one thing that shows up for me. Um, but also have a lot with like music um uh somebody will share you know like something with me on Facebook that I'll then see echoes of later like all those synchronicities are really meaningful and just like some of the most energizing exciting little things to notice yeah that's so random that's crazy I love that (laughs) um so you've been reading for other people right yeah. So can you talk about that? And have you given readings to like anybody in person, like in your community? And right. like, what's that like? And um, I so yeah, at this point, I've, I've experimented with different ways to do readings. The way that I do now, 
um, is in the form of um, an audio file. So like people will, when they want to get a reading, they'll, I'll have them fill out this form um, online that's kind of like just a little bit getting to know them, but also like what's on their mind? What do they want to share with me to help um, kind of inform the reading? And then I'll, I'll take that information and sit with it and, you know, kind of drop in and meditate to get to a place where I feel like I understand who they are and what they, what they're looking for and what their needs are. And, and then I'll pull the cards for them and record an audio file of me kind of like giving them the reading and send it to them. And that has worked out really well for me. I feel like I get, I get a little bit, I'm such a people pleaser but I get a little bit of anxiety if I'm doing readings for somebody in person and kind of like reading their reactions. And I feel kind of an internal pressure to change or shift what I'm saying to like make it more palatable to them as I perceive it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I still definitely do in-person readings, but usually it's for people that I, that I know, Mm -hmm. um, people that I feel like we have a relationship where I can, have that conversation with them and it's based on past experience instead of just like a, a first time meeting. Um, but most of the readings I do, I would say are for people are for Mormons. Oh gosh. my <laughs> <laughs> um, Most of the readings I do are for Mormons, whether they're totally in the church or, you know, kind of a little bit unorthodox or all the way out. Um, that just tends to be, you know, in terms of like word of mouth, friend of a friend kind of, kind of communication, like that seems to be who approaches me. And it's, it's really amazing. Like it, it is such a, it feels so gratifying. It feels, I don't, I I wish I had the perfect word for it. There, there's something about that that feels very special, um, to be able to connect with other people who are from that same, um, history and that same path and to kind of meet using this tool that is not at all um like okay in in Mormon understanding but to still feel the spirit together I mean that's something that we would talk about all the time in Mormonism is just like putting yourself in situations where you are able to feel the spirit feel like the Holy Ghost and God's love for you and um and that's what we're doing when we when we read tarot together. Oh, I love that. That's so beautiful. Do yeah, you re- really do you relate to the King of Cups? I do relate to the King of Cups. Yeah. It fit like almost in an uncomfortable way. Like Yeah, <laughs> I the- pull I pulled that for you. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it feels I- like you feel like so that healer vibe of like stepping into it. Yeah. And I feel like it's so much more there's something about the queens that I'm like give me the queens like yeah. I'll be in that queen zone and I mean we all are like it's not mutually exclusive but yeah I do feel that like king of cups energy coming out more and more um and and that kind of charge to to be like no you need to kind of take this out of just your own mind your own your own body and soul and like actually project it out a little bit more and um so yeah it's it's an ongoing kind of unfolding um understanding of what that exactly looks like but I definitely feel it oh my god and it brings me back to like thinking about what you said 
with like preaching to other people and the parallel with the missions and not wanting to continue that cycle but also wanting to share what you're passionate about and like how do we find a balance and like share what we love but not in a harmful way yeah and I think honestly like for me at this point I feel like it all goes back to just like a sincerity and like the the challenge of communicating yourself communicating what you feel honestly like and that is such a challenge too I feel like social media gets in in the mix here in a way that is kind of difficult but like if you can figure out what is really going on inside of you in your heart and translate that into words or images or whatever your medium of choice is but like really communicate it honestly and do that consistently, then the people who are drawn to that will be drawn to that. And like, you don't need to kind of go out and like knock on people's doors Mm -hmm. and like get them to hear it. You kind of just have to wait for um, your people to find you. Um, I took a class from Elise Ensenberger, who's La Mystica Tarot on on, uh, Instagram. And she talked about the true homies. Like that was how she put it. And I love love that true home. The true homies are going to show up like, and that's not to say it's easy. It's not like, Oh, just, just be yourself. It's like, it's hard to figure out who yourself is. And it's hard to like, like produce that in a way that other people can read or see. Um, so there's still definitely a challenge there, but it's a different sort of challenge. It's a more like growthful challenge than the challenge of like trying to figure out who you're supposed to be and then figuring out what would that look like? How could I pretend to be that person? So I feel like that's really the King of Cups power is that, that ability to know, to know what it is you want to say, to know what parts of yourself you're ready to share and know how you want to do that. And then doing it just so that people can can see if they kind of jive with that. It's such a vulnerability. Mm, yes. Because it's like bringing that water that's like, I feel like water is so easily like contaminated by mm. like outside forces. Yes. So oh, I love how you put that. It's like being scared that somebody's going to take that water and like you're so vulnerable. Like somebody could throw, you know toxic stuff into that bay (laughs) it's like like you know but still doing it anyway and knowing like whatever it is you you can make more water like (laughs) like there's enough water to go around and I think that's again like trusting it's like such a there's so much spirit in like everything you're talking about with like trusting that the message will find the people it's meant to Mm -hmm. and I think that's such a it's it's such a more aligned thing with God rather than you know forcing something out of like this scarcity I think like if it's coming from scarcity or it's coming from love is the difference totally totally and I feel like that is such a good lens to view it through um, because the idea of one true church, one true truth, <laughs> one true God is 
is very scarcity based. And I think, you know, that's not to say that it's not completely full of beauty as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think at the same time that you're learning how to trust yourself and trust your own voice and put that out into the world and trust that the people who are ready to find you will find you. There's also the trust that the people who don't find you are going to be able to find something else. And that Mm -hmm. there are other people out there doing their work in a way that is going to be more accessible, more, um, more of service to other people. Like if I am trying to serve just as like, just pure quantity, like as many people as I can. And that's my only objective then it's like there are plenty of people that I would be serving who wouldn't be getting as much out of it as they would if they were getting it from somebody else or someplace else. And I think that that's true with tarot and I think it's true with religion. And like there's, there is that abundance that it's not just that, you know, the way I used to think of it is that like God showed God's love for humanity by like, through missionary work, basically, like taking the truth to throughout the world, like making sure everybody would have a chance to hear the truth and accept it. And now I think it's a little more like, no, the truth can come out in different forms in different places instead of one form needing to be carried out, you know, all over the place. It's like there's a way to access God that that, that culture or that person or that family can already access without anybody else having to come and bring it to them. Yes, and, like, it can be spread through that also. Mm-hmm. It's like there's room for everything. Yeah. Ah, oh, I love that. That was amazing. That was so good. <laughs> <laughs> so what, like, do you look at, like, what years you're in with, like, tarot cards? I do. I do look at that. What year are you in? Do you have <laughs> so any like I, insights or? Yeah. Well, I am in kind of an interesting year. So I'm in the sun, which Ooh. is also therefore the wheel of fortune, which is also the magician. Ooh. Like that's the only time that that happens is with the number 19 and how, how those numbers. Wow. Are. So, you are like light years ahead of me. I'm not going to be in the sun until I'm like 80 something. <laughs> I was looking at it the other day, like, mapping it out, like, this is the first time I've ever been in the sun, um, and, you know, it'll be forever until I'm, like, in judgment or the world and stuff. Anyway, it's just interesting. Yeah, (laughs) so what's it like? I'm, like, dying to know. Yes, so it is really interesting. So I feel like you kind of have a threefold thing going on, well, obviously with the three different cards, but, like, with the sun, it's all about, to me, like visibility it's like having all the blinders taken off nothing is in the shadow and you're kind of just like okay I'm seeing everything a lot more clearly um so like last year I was in the moon which is so much about being in the shadow and kind of the underbelly and stuff the sun is like okay no you're not that's like kind of there's a little bit of a safety in those shadows now the sun is like "Mm -hmm." you get to see everything for what it is and the only way you're not going to see it is if you turn away from it. And so it's kind of this need to, to like steal yourself and kind of find that internal resolve to look at the things that are being exposed. Mm-hmm. And so then the wheel, the way I think of the wheel, I feel like the wheel is such an interesting kind of like temperature taker, like a thermometer for different tarot readers. Like 
when I meet tarot readers, I want to know, like, how do you read the wheel? Like, what do you see in that card? The way I read the wheel is like the bigger cycles that we're all a part of all the time. And so it's like systemic stuff, um, kind of, you know, obviously the cycles of life, but also the cycles of cultures and civilizations um, that are ever turning and how ultimately like we think that there's all this individual control. We think that like we can, we can master things. We can be in charge of our own destinies if we just like try hard enough. And there's some truth to that, but also like we're part of much bigger systems. And that's what I see in the wheel. Mm -hmm. And then the magician to me is all about, um, internal action and kind of like making things happen on the inside before they can come out into the world. So when you put all those things together, I feel like I'm, (laughs) yeah, how's that showing up? (laughs) I don't remember what year it was, but there was that one year when Kylie Jenner was like, I feel like this is the year of like realizing stuff. That's what this year is for me. Like, I this love is the that. Year of, like realizing stuff because of the sun and the wheel. Like they t- together, those are so like they're bringing a lot of things to the surface for me um, in terms of the societal systems I'm a part of and um, and how they impact me and how I contribute to them in terms of like, you know, all the big stuff, all the big, scary, gross stuff of like white supremacy and homophobia and misogyny and classism and ableism, like all those things are really like in, in high visibility for me right now. And then the magician is all about learning how to continue to create and live and grow in spite of that. Cause I just want to mm-hmm. like crawl under a rock a little bit when it comes to the sun and the wheel. But the magician is really that like continuing, continuing to like, um, have an active, like to continuing to be active instead of just like reacting to all of that stuff. Um, yeah, because like, it's a very, I feel like the sun is a very uncomfortable card. Like it's yeah. a little bit of like a sunburn, like, ah, don't see me. <laughs> like, I know it is. And I like, I see the card and it's like this joyful baby in the sunflowers and it's like it's beautiful but my experience of it does not look like that kind of sun card it's much it's it's uncomfortable for sure totally like like a glare in my eyes like where are my sunglasses you know where's my big floppy brimmed hat like I need to I need some shade here yeah and thinking about that but like just continuing to stand in the sun because you know you're getting like nutrients from it and it's like causing you to grow yes and therefore I love that idea of like it's also impacting like almost like the center of the wheel is almost like the sun and when you can really stand in it even though it feels like it's burning like you're causing like everything else it like radiates from the center and like shoots out the sides into society yeah so I feel like I have to share, like, my thoughts about the Wheel of Fortune so you can yeah, judge please. me as a tarot reader. <laughs> Always interested in learning that, yeah. I feel, like, I feel like I just said it, but, like, this idea of, I think similar to you, I feel like you had more of a complex, like, you've probably put more thought into it, but... No, I wouldn't say that. I mean... Maybe I not that. I don't know, but I feel like mine is, like... 
I think I still get perplexed about the wheel a little bit, but I feel like it's that idea of not getting lost in, I feel like I get it a lot when I feel stuck, but Mm -hmm. things are actually changing. Mm, Yes, yes, yes. So like not freaking out and like making decisions like to try and spur change but to just like sitting in the uncomfortableness and letting the change that's meant for you come because it's like happening already. It's like you just maybe can't see it because you're like in it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's it. <laughs> no, that totally makes sense. And I feel like there is some significant overlap um, with, with just, I, I appreciate you sharing that because I feel like it really kind of like feeds into and kind of, nourishes and slightly adjusts some some ways that I think of the wheel and it makes me you know just excited to kind of explore that a little bit more because I think you do there there is such a sense because the wheel like if you're on the outside of the wheel it kind of is like it feels like it can you might just be stuck in one place and you might not even really feel like you're on a wheel or like anything's turning you do feel stuck but things are constantly in that cycle and anyway yeah, yeah, so that feeling of being stuck even, and kind of stepping back a little bit, bit to be like, no, things are in motion. Yeah, um, and I think I love the way you pointed out like bigger cycles. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, and I, mm-hmm. right, go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think, um, yeah, the bigger cycles kind of, it, it's always like one of those as above, so below, as within, so without things. Like the bigger cycles mirror the cycles that we all go through and, I certainly have been in that place before where I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought I figured this out already. Like, didn't I do this four years ago? Uh-huh. And didn't I already, I, I thought this was done, but it's like, no, the, the patterns do continue. And, and that's not, again, it's kind of like when we were talking about the messiness of growth, it's like, it's not because you're doing anything wrong or you did anything halfway before. It's just that you're on a wheel, baby. And like, you, you keep on turning. And that is the same thing that's going on outside of us that we see in the larger world. Can you talk about like, have you ever had a time where you like broke free from your own pattern? And like, what happened? Yeah, um, I think that that was, I have a few examples. But the one that I feel most like appropriate to this conversation is, when I, when I finally knew I was like done going to church, um, like I had been, so I, I, like I mentioned before, I got married when I was 21 and in my case that meant going to the temple, like you can get married in the temple and that's what you're really encouraged to do if you're a Mormon. And as part of that, you go through this really, um, intense, long ceremony called the endowment. Um, and a lot of people really love it. I really expected to love it. Everyone had told me my whole life that like the temple is just the most amazing thing. And the endowment was actually really awful for me, really, really awful. And that kind of set me off on this path. It like began the turning of that wheel and the turning of the wheel for me was this endless pattern of feeling so destroyed, um, broken down, Um, diminished by the church in some fashion, you know, it would depend on, you know, what the exact time was in my life, like what was causing that feeling, but like the temple did 
a number of other things did where I felt so broken down. And then the pattern would become like to quote unquote, like redouble my efforts, like decide, okay, well, this is a test or like, this is something I need to overcome, or this is something that is going to test my faith or whatever. And, and like, recommit myself so the pattern became you know be in the depths of despair decide to keep going anyway and then like find a way to be even more committed because I wanted to kind of overcome that feeling and then go and go and go and feel like it and you know the wheels turning and maybe I'm at the top of the wheel and I'm feeling like this is amazing like I'm so grateful for that trial that happened before because now I'm in this place where, um, you know, I see things differently and I feel more, um, committed to God than I ever have more committed to the church than I ever have. And then I would continue like that. And then something else would happen, completely pull the rug out from under me. And I would be back in that same place of like, what am I doing? Like, I, I don't belong here. I don't know what to do. And so that, that, that wheel kept turning like that. It was about nine years. And then there was one day when I was at church and I was sitting in one of the classes and, you know, it's not really important what everyone was talking about. It wasn't like, it wasn't anything different than what I had heard my whole life, but I was sitting there and it just kind of like clicked in for me. Like, I do not belong here. I don't have anything to say to this room. The people in this room don't have anything to say to me that would be relevant. Like I don't belong here. And it was just the simplest thing after so many huge things, so many like huge tower moments in my life, in my church life. Like it was just this little clicking where it felt like I don't need to do that anymore. And it was like, I am off of that wheel. And so there I was. And like, it was still hard. Like there was still some resistance to it. It was actually, my friend gave me a tarot reading after that, like to kind of, Cause I was still like, maybe I should keep going mm-hmm. every once in a while, you know? Um, and my friend gave me a reading that was kind of like, uh, no, you, you felt that way and you're done. Like, just trust that. Um, and, and it has felt, you know, I don't want it, to, it's not like my life has been, you know, without problems ever since then, like not at all, but like, it's amazing how much more peaceful I feel and how much, more of like my own mind is available for for anything else like I I don't have to devote so much of my energy to just trying to like tread water and survive spiritually like because I'm not constant I'm not like on a weekly schedule like hurting myself you know or like subjecting myself to hurt um so yeah I feel like that was almost like a weekly cycle that I went through a weekly wheel and Anyway, that was kind of a really big one that I was like, I cannot keep doing this. I love that. And I love, like, I totally have had those moments where, like, in an instant, something you've been, like, mulling over, like, you just know. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be ended. But then I feel like it can come back in this new way that's so much better. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that, like, the external is different. It's just the way you're engaging with it has changed because you've changed. Yeah. And you're able to have like this completely new relationship 
and enter this like different part of the spiral with it because it's not about like completely cutting anything off right because then we would cut off the sweetness Mm -hmm. and that's not fair to us right yeah no I get you I love that I love it's like oh that's so beautiful yeah I feel it's it's one of those things that I look back in retrospect and I just think like the person I was like five or six years ago like she wasn't ready for it and that's okay. Like she, but, but I just, I, I'm so happy to know that like I kept going to church. I kept trying for as long as I truly wanted to in my heart. And as soon as I didn't anymore, I, and I, I wasn't, you know what I mean? Like it was, it was so, um, so reassuring to know that that had all really come from, what my heart needed at the time and my heart needed to keep trying for a long time as hard as it was and then that wheel just turned in a new way and now I have a whole different kind of spiritual life and there are there are things to learn here too and places to make sure I I'm being you know thoughtful and not just falling into dogma all over again Mm-hmm. and not like repeating the cycle in a different way but like yeah. really remembering like why like, what had changed? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, do you, like, how did your relationship with your family change, if anything? Yeah. So, um, like, working outwards, like, the first thing I needed to do kind of was, like, tell my husband and let him know that I didn't really want to go to church anymore. And, um... I honestly expected it to be a big problem because early on in our marriage, like he had felt so, I think there's this real expectation in Mormonism. Like there's a lot of responsibility that's put on men to like be the priesthood holders. Cause like only men can hold priesthood in the church. And so therefore they need to like be the representative of God basically in the home. Like they preside over the home and over the family. And so whenever I was struggling, Craig, my husband really felt like it was his responsibility to kind of like make that stop. And like, mm-hmm. you know, he was not like we said, before, he wasn't comfortable with my grief. I wasn't comfortable with my grief either. And so he really tried to keep everything going the way that it was supposed to for a long time. And so when I told when I was preparing to tell him that I didn't want to go to church anymore, I was expecting it to be like a real problem. But it was so surprising. I said, you know, you know, this thing, this is the way I felt at church a couple of weeks ago. And I think I'm just done. I think I'm not going to go anymore. And he was like, no, I get it. I I, understand. <laughs> I, I don't think I'll go anymore either. Oh my <laughs> God. That's awesome. You know, which therefore means that our kids don't really go. Um, so that was great that that was handled so well. And then it took me a while to tell my, my parents and my siblings, like I, um, there were just so many family events that were happening that I felt like I didn't want to like ruin them in a way. Mm -hmm. Like I had a little, my youngest brother who was going on a mission and then, you know, just different family events were happening. It always felt like it was not a good time because I didn't want to make my mom and my dad sad at a time when they were really, really happy. So, but after a while I did finally tell them and it was really hard. And I mean, it just, cause I didn't want to disappoint them. I'm, like a classic oldest child. 
Um, and I really crave like approval from authority figures and, you know, as, and I, as I think we all do with our parents to some extent anyway, but they were really understanding. My brothers were all really understanding too. Um, and there has not been, I have not felt any kind of like separation from them. I know that there is some sadness for them because to them, this means like, I won't be with them in heaven unless I get my act together. And, and like my kids won't be with them. Like, and that's really hard. And that's a very real grief. Um, but as far as the way that they're treating me, they, they're being fabulous. And then my husband's family doesn't know. And I have, we are, we have not told them I am following my husband's lead on that. Cause it's his family, you know, but like, it's going to be bad. I am not looking forward to that at all. Cause his, his parents especially are more, um, I don't know, uh, conservative, more judgmental about it. Like yeah. there's with my family, it, there's always been a real like faithfulness to the church, but like a laid backness, like there are certain rules, rules that you're like supposed to follow in the church. There's, uh, you know, many rules. And some my family was pretty relaxed about some of them, you know, his family is not. And so when we tell them it's going to be like, uh, <laughs> I'm not looking forward to it at all, but like, there's kind of a deadline on it. Cause I have, my son is five and he's turning six this summer. When he turns eight, the expectation is going to be that he gets baptized and he's not going to be like, I'm not like over my dead body. And, um, and so the, at that point, if, if we haven't told them by then, at that point, it's going to be like, no, Soren's not getting baptized and we haven't gone to church in five years and it's going to be, eh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not looking forward to it to say the least, but, but I also feel more and more like I saw on Pinterest once, I think <laughs> this quote, um, that was the more you love your own choices, the less you need other people to love them. And yeah. I feel like now I really love my own choices you know, I, I really do. And, and it, I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to put anybody through that pain. I don't want that awkwardness to say the least, but like, but also I love my own choices and I'm not looking for their approval. And if they're angry about it and if they, if they're, if they talk snide to me for the rest of my life, like that sucks. And we're going to have to have some conversations, but like, it's not going to make me feel like I did anything wrong, you know? So We'll see. We'll see how that one turns out. Ah, there's, like, so much truth to all of it that, like, um, you know, realizing that your choices affect people, but not letting that change your choices. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I feel like if you, there, there's such, like, two extremes, you know, where you can, like, make all your choices based on how, what other people will think, like that's no way to live. And also if you're making choices with no consideration of how other people feel, or like the fact that you, you are going to impact them, then that's, that's a really, you're cutting yourself off from a lot of joy in that direction too. Like, I think it is so challenging, but important to find that sweet spot where you're like, I care about people, but I do not prioritize their feelings over like my truth you know I, yeah I so yeah yes oh my god and like like not doing harm doing the least amount of harm to everybody mm-hmm. and like I feel like feelings are not over truth Mm-mm. I don't know I feel like that's a big statement 
I feel yeah. <laughs> but well tricky like I at this point I'm kind of like all the time I'll think well there's this hymn there's this Mormon hymn called oh say what is truth and it's actually this like really kind of like postmodern kind of question in a church that's so conservative and traditional and old school but like there there's a part of me that's like what is truth like I don't I mean this is like a completely different thing but like like how do we know like what at what point is it like am I just convincing myself that something is truth in order to feel like I'm justified in doing what I want to do instead of just owning that it's what I want to do anyway I don't know but I agree that like the feeling like there there is kind of an order of operations with all of this where it's not that other people's feelings or even your own feelings don't matter but like they cannot be your compass because that's just that's just not how feelings work they just they they're too changeable they're too um biased they they can't be kind of like your north star to steer by there needs to be something else that's a little more grounded wow i never that's such a good analogy with the compass Mm, yeah thank you i don't i mean i don't know the the like i I think that it is like it feels very true that like anything that you're using to like really steer out your path like and navigate by gotta gotta kind of ask some questions around whether that's the best thing for you to be using yeah anyway just something that I'm thinking about now yeah I love that um okay so I'm in a devil year this is the first devil year that I've ever gone through the first like line three I've ever gone through um like do you have any advice I don't know thoughts advice ideas (laughs) devil oh man yeah what's your relationship with that especially since that was like the first outcome card you ever got (laughs) like how has your relationship grown like what are I don't know lessons you've had yeah the thing that I think of with the devil so earlier this year um, it was actually right after that friend of mine, Spencer, got arrested, and I was like, whoa, like, what is up, what is down, like, did not know what to do with myself, and um, and on the same day, from two different places, I heard this story, um, and the story was basically, or it's kind of just a an idea that, like, when you have baby elephants <laughs> at the circus, you put a really like the trainers will put a really thick rope around their necks to kind of control them, keep them penned, lead them where they want to go. And the baby elephants, they're too young. They're not strong enough to to do anything about it. And as they get older and bigger, they're gaining strength, but they're also learning from experience that that rope is like keeping them down and, and, and keeping them controlled basically. But they do get big enough that they could easily break the rope. The rope is not getting bigger along with them. By the time they are full-grown elephants, that rope is really powerless, except for they have been learning from the time they were little babies that that rope, that they can't do anything against that rope. So you can continue to control that elephant with a rope that they could easily break, but they have no... They have basically like no examples or no experience to tell them that they could break that rope. So they don't even, it doesn't even occur to them to try. 
Now, I don't know if that's true. I have no experience with elephants. <laughs> but I did hear that analogy, like I mentioned, from two different places on the same day. That is and a very specific analogy <laughs> to hear twice. It was, on, it was on someone's Instagram caption, and then it was in a book I was reading. Wow. And, um, and, and so that... That analogy stays with me all the time, like the idea of the devil and the and the things that are chaining us, the things that are kind of confining us. And I think, um, like, to me, whenever I see the devil, I think a lot about, like, what are the things that we think we are powerless against, but we're, but really that's just an old story that isn't true anymore, you know? Um so yeah, that's kind of how I think about the devil. I also think about the devil a lot in relation to the tower that comes immediately after. Like, Yeah, like, what do you think about that? I didn't really see the devil. And like, this could just be a byproduct of like the decks that I, that I learned tarot on. But I really see the devil as like in like one of the lower levels of the tower, like in a dungeon, like holding those people captive. And then when the tower falls, I feel like that is like a destruction of the devil's power over you. And it's like, it's such a violent upheaval, but like that sometimes that's what's necessary to kind of set you free from things that you, that you didn't think you could ever get free from. And so like, I see the lessons of the devil as very, um, just obviously like so important um, for our growth and our evolution, but I don't see the devil as like, Sometimes I hear people talk about the devil card as though the devil is like really like our ally in disguise. And I don't feel that way about the devil, like about the devil itself. It's more like the, like, no, he is fully trying to control and confine. And it's all about like how, how you're going to respond to those attempts to keep you still keep you trapped. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where my mind always goes. It's like, what are the things that used to hold you captive that now you have the power to break free from if only you will believe that that is possible? What do you, why do you think it's in line three? Like, what relation do you think it has? I'm not sure. Like, I have spent some time kind of on that, like, line one, line two, line three thing, and I'm not sure that it has ever fully clicked for me. But the line three, um, based, you know, based on what I do understand, I feel like line three of the tarot is all about kind of like, so if line one is like, kind of like setting the stage, coming to some identity, the, and then line two is sort of like the complicating, the deconstructing of that identity, um, the final one is, the final line is like, your identity can kind of be like that where everything's been scattered it can be reconstituted in in a way that's more true to you and and only you know it's getting ready to begin that cycle all over again but i think the devil kicking that off it's like you have to get really real about your own self-limiting beliefs before you can begin that work of like pulling it all together again. You know what I mean? Totally. I think it's like willing to look at your shit. And nobody mm-hmm. ever wants yeah. to look at their shit. No, nobody. <laughs> <laughs> no, like we're so much more comfortable just just like 
continuing to do what we've always done because that's safe. You know, it's like, we know, we know that we can handle what has always been. We don't necessarily know that we can handle something new. It's so funny that we call the devil safe too. Like that, you know what I mean? Like thinking about it, like, girl, you are not safe. Like, get out of there. Like, (laughs) like, demon with a, with a pitchfork, like coming to get you. You're not safe. But like, what, you know, it, what's that old expression about like, we're not afraid that we are powerless. We're afraid that like, we're like powerful beyond comprehension or something like that. It's like, it is, there is a comfort in, in being under somebody else's control or being under something else's control or just believing that we are. I like, I used to hear like, this is kind of pulling it back to the Mormonism thing, but like in Mormonism, it's really important. Like obedience is one of the central tenets of of Mormonism and following the prophet. Yeah. Like whatever the church leaders say, like you do it. Um, people will say sometimes like when the prophet speaks, the thinking is done. Like, and they'll say Mm -hmm. that like as a positive thing, like I'm so faithful that when the prophet says something, I don't even need to think about it. I'll just do it because Mm -hmm. I am not obedient. And sometimes people will say like, if you're doing it, if you're, um, doing something because your church leaders, your prophet have told you to, then even if it's wrong, even if you're doing something wrong, it you, it's not your fault. It will ultimately, like, God will hold that church leader responsible. Like, you are doing what you were supposed to, but the prophet, you know, just messed up, and it's, and it's going to be his fault. And so it, people kind of use that, I feel like, to kind of absolve themselves of responsibility and mm-hmm. say, like, I don't need to make my own choices because the thinking has been done. I'm following somebody else. It's up like, and I bear no responsibility for this. I wash my hands of this. That to me is kind of flavors of the devil where it's like, I, I am not, I am going to choose to surrender my own agency and responsibility because in some way there's an appeal to that. There's, there's something about not having to be accountable that that I, you know, I, I want that. I don't want to have to be accountable for my choices or my actions. Now, I don't know that that's like always the devil, but I feel like that situation does have some strong devil themes to it. That's so interesting. So when I was there, they had like the conference. Yeah. So how often does that happen? General conference, if that's what, yeah. if that's the same thing you're talking about. General conference so. happens twice a year. It happens in April and again in October. And I didn't realize, like, how big of a thing that was. Mm-hmm. It's really big. And I, I like, <laughs> I had, like, a major, like, fa-poo. Fa- what, what's the word? Faux <laughs> pas. <laughs> what did I say? Faux poo. <laughs> Which I'm going to say from now on. <laughs> I, like, went over and, like, watched. I guess it's, like, popular to, like, get together and, like, watch it together Mm -hmm, um so I like went over with some other girls that were in high school and they were watching it and they started talking about like purity and something and I was like oh like I lost my virginity already and they were like it was like I had killed somebody in the room like (laughs) no seriously we're taught that sexual sin is second only to murder oh my god it was like the looks on their faces Uh, oh it was the faux poo (laughs) 
Ah, that is so, like, devil. It's totally uh, that card, though. Like, the way you described it, like, not... um, not just immediately going back to like what you're taught mm-hmm. even if it's um even if that night n- might not be what you really believe in like yeah. if it's not your truth like that like makes me think about like everything we're talking about like really living your truth and your authenticity and when you're not like that's really when we're caught in like the devil card like when we're not living our truth and when we're not I don't know is that true because I feel like temperance it's supposed to be like the reaction right or like maybe when we start living our truth and then it's like we're reined back in I feel like the devil card is where you face all of that like there it's it's probably not well how do I say this when I see the devil card come up in a reading, to me, I'm like, this is this is a lot, this is intense, but it's good because you are being invited to really, like, get real about all of this stuff. Like, this stuff has been happening before. You have been, you know, maybe, like, surrendering your agency, like, refusing to live authentically because <clears throat> it's too scary, whatever. Like, you've been limiting yourself with beliefs. Um and that has already been happening but now the double is where you really meet that you really come face to face with it and say okay what am i going to do now and i feel like temperance is really the card that like prepares you for that encounter it's like um it's like kind of the cleansing ritual so that you can go in and face that demon um as like with as much strength and as much um like purpose as possible yeah because it's almost like you have to reach a homeostasis before you even have like the energy to look at everything because if like you're already like drowning in the death card it's like you can't deal with your shit no you're just like you're just not in a place to even look at it it's like i you're just living that like i'm just gonna listen to other people because that's what I need to even hold on. Yeah. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, that's a great idea. So many things to think about. I know. It's like, it's one of my favorite things, just getting down, talking tarot. It's like you start to see so much complexity and dimension to every card and its relationship to every other card. And I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things where you can keep learning endlessly, which I think is one thing that really appeals to me about it. It's not like you kind of like memorize a passage and then you're done. It's like, no, it it keeps going. What (laughs) are your like general thoughts about like this quote unquote scary cards? Like when you pull a card and it's spiky. Yeah. Like how do you like talk to yourself about it to like remember the medicine? Yeah. Well, I think, I think my general thing, it, I feel like a lot of kind of the spikier, scary cards, especially in the minors, I really feel like kind of a need to reclaim them, not, not reclaim them. I mean, they're always all of ours, but like 
the eight of swords and the seven of wands, like those are two cards that I often, I feel really defensive about them. Honestly, I'm like, these are amazing cards with so much to teach us that I feel like I tend to interpret differently than other people. Oh, can you talk about them? Can you talk about the seven of wands? The eight of swords. What I usually hear about the eight of swords is like victim mentality. Like, you you think you're you know you're playing the victim you're playing the martyr or whatever and like you just need to kind of like buck up and like stop being such a baby like that's kind of how I have heard about heard it talked about in many places certainly not all Mm -hmm. but um I really feel like it's more a card like I, I feel like it says something that we could see a card where a woman is like blindfolded and bound and surrounded by swords and in kind of the wilderness and that we could be like, stop being such a baby. Like we really have, I feel like we have a real problem in our culture with thinking that with, with blaming victims, you know, obviously like victim blaming is such a thing, but also like we, we really don't, we're so uncomfortable with the idea of being a victim. It's it's like the pull yourself up by your bootstraps idea. And we, we like to say, like, I'm not a victim anymore. I'm a survivor or whatever. And it's just, like, to me, there's there's a lot of, like, energy in the aid of, in the aid of swords about, like, getting real about the ways in which you have been hurt. Um, and then the seven of wands, I feel like the way it has come up for me is really, instead of, like, kind of being overly defensive it's more like defending your rightful place in a way like saying I have every right to be here so I will be I will continue to be here um that's not I I wouldn't say that that's like always how it shows up but whenever I have pulled the seven of wands I feel like it has come through as a message about like not being too combative but instead like an encouragement to kind of stand my ground and and instead of just like giving up because I'm I'm much more prone to be like okay sorry if I was in your way like here you go or like oh oh did I did I take your seat like oh here's your seat back instead of like no you have every right to walk down the sidewalk you're not in anybody's way take up space in the world you know so those are some of the ones that I have seen differently but like when it comes to the three of swords or when it comes to um the tower like those, those are really difficult, um, cards. And I feel like for me, the invitation is really to just like sit with the fact that things are really hard, you know, instead of trying to fix it, instead of trying to fix it, or instead of like trying to find the way in which, uh, like, I feel like so often, the narrative is really like to be grateful for the hard things in life. And that's, that's not bad, but I feel like sometimes people in my experience, like use that as a way to kind of like bypass the fact that things really are very hard. They'll jump straight to like, Oh, I'm so grateful. Or like, I, I, I learned so much or whatever. It's like, that's all true. But in the moment with like the three of swords or the tower, I feel like it's a time to really, um, not jump ahead, really be in the moment. Same with like five of cups, really be in the moment of difficulty and not try to like smooth it over, which is really hard. Um, 
I feel the same way with death. Like, I think sometimes we try to, our impulse is to soften it more. We're like, it's not, it's not really death. It's like, it's a transition. It's a change. It's like moving into a new realm. And it's like, that's all totally true. But the card, it's, <laughs> yeah. death. Like, it's scary. Death is, is like the ultimate truth, the ultimate mystery of our lives. And like, it is really hard. And so that's another thing where, where I feel like the invitation is to just be like, I also sometimes feel like those cards are really validating to me. Like, oh, this does feel really, really impossible. Good. I'm not just like making too big of a deal out of it. This is literally death. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's especially really powerful when you have somebody reading for you and those cards come up and they're able to, like, hold the space and see you in that. Like, being seen in those moments is, like, so powerful. Mm -hmm. And I heard something, I feel like on that same podcast I was talking about, they mentioned, like, a Brene Brown quote that was, like, um, shame can't exist when you share it. Right. And, like, that's just so profound to me. Like, just recently, I feel like I've, like, on this podcast, I've started talking about, like, my past with, like, mental health stuff and kind of, like, this wild ride that I've gone on. And I never felt comfortable enough within myself to think that that's okay. Like, it's not, I've had all of this messaging, like, it's not okay to be yourself. You won't be loved if you're yourself. You'll be abandoned. But, like, being, just holding that space for myself and, like, no, like, you can be vulnerable. You can share this and like the shame has dissipated it's been so healing yes and like i think that's like coming out the other side i mean i guess that's why the star follows the tower right Uh, i mean we got to talk about that too if we talk about you know (laughs) all of this contraction yes like um yeah. Can you, do you want to talk about anything about the star? Like the yeah. healing, like any experiences you've had with like maybe the upside, like all of maybe the things, um, I don't know if I would say like blooming, but. No, totally. Um, so with the star, what I always think of, um, pop culture reference alert, um, is the movie Titanic. Um, yes. after, after the ship sinks, and um rose is like on that door um and she's there there's a scene where literally it shows kind of like rose's perspective and she's looking up at the stars and she sees the milky way and that is like after the tower right like the titanic sinking that is the tower big time like almost the definition of it and so the aftermath of it is like the um the recognition that you're still alive, that you, um, that there is more to your story. And like, you know, Rose goes on and lives this like incredibly badass life till she's like 103. And like, so there's, there's more that comes after. And that's kind of the promise of the star is that like your journey has not ended just because your world has fallen apart. And like, I think of the star as kind of this like beautiful contradiction where at night, like, especially if you're ever like camping or, or somewhere kind of remote and you look up you and you can see the stars and it's just so peaceful and so serene. It makes you feel small in like a good way, like in your place in the universe. 
so there's this really peaceful like smallness to the star but then at the same time like it's literally like a burning ball of energy like forever away in the void of the universe like it is so intense and so it has this like mingling of incredible intensity and like a lot of peace in in the star and to me it's kind of like get like incorporating those elements for yourself and and saying like I after this experience of death and the devil and the tower like I I resolve to like move forward and I resolve to continue to live my life and like I will take this moment to kind of gather my thoughts gather my breath but you know if we want to go back to the titanic analogy like in a minute rose is going to roll off that door and she's going to find that whistle i sorry for anybody who hasn't seen the movie titanic this might not make a lot of sense <laughs> but she finds that whistle and she she is determined to survive and that's what the star means to me and i honestly like i have i feel like i have experienced i have more like clear understanding of the tower personally than i do of the star like of course, I've been through that because that's always what happens after the tower. But like, it is kind of harder because it's a more, it's a more like, um, mellow moment in the aftermath. The tower is just like all fireworks, but the star is kind of that quieter thing that comes immediately after. So I do have to use kind of pop culture to help me understand it. I love that reference. That makes so much sense. And I feel like, like, you talking about the idea of, like, going camping, too, and the stars are there, and it makes me think of, like, the star is always there. Like, even as we're going through the devil in the tower, like, the sky is up there, whether you see it or not. Yeah. It's like... Stars are above us even in the middle of the day. Like... Yeah. really bright so we can't see them but like the stars they are the constant they are the true constant and it's like we're going through all of this for healing Mm -hmm. it's like we always have it's like we're being I don't know I don't know if this is true me saying it but like we're always being healed whether we think we are or not like even though it feels like a really painful moment and we're being like wounded maybe it's healing something else too that we just can't see like ancestral trauma or something yeah um yeah I love that idea Mm. I feel like I've taken up so much of your time that was such a fun conversation I'm just so happy that we could do this because like I've loved listening to your episodes and feel like you you bring this like such a conversational energy to like to tarot which can seem kind of so remote and like ooh, I don't know if I you know if I'm worthy or if I'm qualified to to do tarot like it's not that way at all or at least in my experience and I feel like you really make that clear in your episodes like you always oh what a compliment thank you so much to you and I I just anyway when you wanted me to come on I was so pumped because I just knew it would be so fun to talk to you. Ah, tarot for the people. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I feel like people think, like, you have to have your shit together, too, to do tarot, which I feel like is the exact opposite. Like, (laughs) 
It's almost like if you have it two together, like you're not. <laughs> totally. Like you're not willing to look at it then. Right, and right. it's like you're only able to like help and heal as much as you're willing to do that for yourself. Yes. 100%. If it's all just theory and like it's not something you're living like it can still be a really useful tool I think like it was I I used tarot long before I felt like I was really in it and it still was great Mm -hmm. but like there is a deeper level that comes when you're like I'm actually gonna do this work well it's also like like anything it's like when you're going to church but you're being mean to people or you're doing yoga but you're like being a biatch when you're in the parking lot So, like, the yeah, just, like, living it. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And, like, even in your biatchiest moments, like, being like, wow, like, what's <laughs> going on with me? Like, totally. Anyway. Yeah, just knowing, like, you know, we all have work to do and just trying to do that work for the sake of everyone. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing all of that. I feel like you were so open and vulnerable and you were you really held space for me with all of my like uncomfortable like Utah experiences that were like so great and so hard all at the same time. Yeah, it, was, um, oh my gosh, it was my my pleasure, my most sincere pleasure and Like, yeah, I just love doing this. And thank you so, so much. Oh, my God. Thank you. Can you tell everyone where they can find you and book a reading with you and things like that? Absolutely. So my website is cottonwoodtarot.com. And then if you are on Instagram, it's cottonwood.tarot. Um, I'm also on Facebook, but it's just the exact same stuff that I share on Instagram. But, you know, some people, Facebook is what they use more. So you can find me Cottonwood Tarot there as well. And I think that covers it. If you want to book a reading with me, like I'm pretty low tech at this point because my, like, I, this isn't my full-time job. And so like, sometimes I have more time than others, but just contact me through the contact form on my website or DM me and we will get you taken care of or I'm happy to recommend other people if you know if my schedule is too full at the moment ah thank you so much Sarah my pleasure thank you Anna have the best day you too bye bye thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode Definitely check out Sarah and her work over at Cottonwood Tarot. Cannot recommend her enough. And if you guys liked this podcast, I would love if you rated and reviewed it. That way other people can hear these wonderful conversations. Um, So thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you are enjoying this Gemini energy, even though I feel as if I've heard the term we're going through like a meat grinder of a time astrologically. Um, And if you're feeling that, I'm sending you a lot of love and I hope you can get a little reprieve with this Gemini new moon right now that I'm releasing this. Um, It's, you know, I hope you can take a little time, go Uh, reflect upon what questions you're asking. Gemini is all about curiosity. Um, So be curious about your life. 
Um, I love that. I love that uh, thing that Gemini inspires, just that curiosity and intelligence. So if we can hang on to that, I feel like we can at least get some answers to the things we're looking for. Um, that was a little bit of a ramble, but I hope you guys enjoy your day, your week, your weekend, whenever you're listening to this. I'm sending you a lot of love and lots of kisses. Mwah. <laughs>